You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From June the 28th, 2020, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is Genesis 32, verses 24 through 31. The same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled him. And then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket, because he struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. a little question, maybe take a little poll of you guys that are here today. Anybody here a little bit nervous to be enclosed in a, in a space like this? Anybody? You guys are so brave. All right, you guys are the brave ones. Uh, we can tell that a lot of people are nervous to be here in a space with others like this. That's why they're still at home watching by YouTube. We miss you guys. Some people have been afraid to come home to church. But that's not unlike Jacob, is it? Do you know the story? Do you know the whole story, the whole arc of the Jacob story? I'm going to try to give you the whole arc of Jacob's story in just a minute or two because we only read just a snippet of the Jacob story. So when we first meet Jacob in the book of Genesis, uh, Jacob, of course, is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah had Isaac, who married Rebekah. Rebekah had two boys, twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And so when we first meet Jacob in the book of Genesis, Jacob is the second born twin and he's literally hanging on to the heel of his twin brother's foot when he comes out of the womb. What an interesting way to enter the world, right? 
And so his parents name him Jacob, which literally means leg puller. I'm not pulling your leg. Leg puller. So, so a little more nuanced translation of the meaning of Jacob. It's trickster or deceiver. Jacob is the trickster or deceiver. And Jacob, as we will learn in his story, kind of lives into that name of being a trickster and a deceiver. So fast forward a little bit. Jacob now and his brother Esau, his twin brother, have grown up. And it's time for their father Isaac, who is weakened with age, probably about to pass pretty soon, It's time for Isaac to give the blessing to the firstborn son. And you may remember this story. So Jacob ends up tricking Isaac into giving him the secondborn twin. He tricks Isaac into giving him the blessing that is rightfully his brother Esau's. And when Esau finds out about that, do you think Esau's happy? No. Esau is livid. And Esau swears that he's going to kill his twin brother, Jacob. And so Jacob runs away, miles and miles and miles and miles away from his twin brother, Esau, because Esau is going to kill him, and he knows it. So Jacob is in a land far, far away from home. Jacob ends up staying in that land for 20 years. He has fled from home. He's in exile. He has self-exiled from his homeland. And while he's away from his homeland, he he takes a wife, Leah, and then he takes another wife, Leah's little sister, uh, help me, Rachel, thank you. (laughs) Uh, So now he's got, you know, two wives, and so he begins having children with his wives. Leah gives him a couple of sons, and and Rachel can't give him any children. She's infertile, and so the, both Leah and, and Rachel give him their slave women so that he can have children by them. And so Bilhah and Zilpah are their names. I can remember their names, but not Rachel. And so he's having all these kids, and finally Rachel gives him a son named Joseph. You know the story. And so now he's got all of these kids, 12, well, at this point, 11 sons, and who knows how many daughters. They didn't count the daughters back then. Doesn't make me happy at all, but that's the way it is. They didn't count the daughters. So all these kids, all these wives, and all of this property, he's amassed great wealth, a lot of it by trickery, if you read the story in Genesis. And then God calls him to go home. Well, Jacob decides to follow God's instruction, but Jacob's a little nervous to go home. You remember why, right? Esau. Esau is still there, and Jacob has no idea whether Esau's anger has assuaged or if the moment Esau sees Jacob, he'll, you know, just wipe him out. And so Jacob and his whole entourage, all his, the wives and the slaves and the property and all the kids, they they start the big journey back home. And so we find Jacob, as they begin to approach the land of his birth, where Esau is, he sends ahead some messengers to tell Esau, uh, your younger brother Jacob is coming home, and he's got all of his family and all of his property, and he's, he's coming home to meet you. And Jacob is hoping that this little bit of etiquette, hey, brother, I'm coming home, that this little bit of etiquette might kind of temper Esau's rage. And so the messengers come back, and they tell Jacob, they said, well, we found your brother Esau, but... And Esau's coming back to meet you out here before you get there. And Esau's coming. And, and by the way, he's got 400 men with him. <clears throat> Gulp. <laughs> Esau's coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. 
So Jacob is terrified of his homecoming. So Jacob prays, as you might. (laughs) He prays and he devises a plan, and he decides that he's going to send his brother Esau a a bunch of gifts. And so uh, 550 plus animals. You've got sheep, you've got steer, you've got goats, you've got donkeys. He sends over 550 animals as gifts to Esau, just hoping, praying that Esau will receive these gifts and maybe have mercy on Jacob. And so after he sends all of these gifts, um, then he sends, he's a real stand-up guy, that's Jacob. Then he sends his wives on ahead, (laughs) and Jacob is alone. He's alone in the desert, just him and, and God. And that's where we pick up on the story we find today. Jacob is between exile and homecoming. He is in this liminal space between what was his exile and his return home, and he's terrified, like some people are today. They're terrified. And so he's with God, and does God provide comfort? No. (laughs) God wrestles with Jacob through the night. And he wrestles and he wrestles all night long, and, and finally Jacob demands from this mysterious wrestler Give me a blessing. And for the first time in Jacob's life, we find him being honest because the mysterious wrestler says, well, tell me your name. Now, in the story I previously told you, Jacob had taken on his brother's name. He assumed the name of Esau to get the blessing he asked for previous, 20 years before. So what will Jacob do now? Will he continue to be deceitful or will he own his name? Well, he owns his name. He says, I am Jacob. I'm the trickster. I'm the deceiver. And so he wrestles with this stranger. The stranger gives him the blessing, but not without injuring his hip. And Jacob will leave that encounter with a limp, they said, for the rest of his life. Now, you and I are a little bit like Jacob from time to time. We find ourselves maybe scared, worried, anxious. We find ourselves alone, and we find ourselves in the presence of God, and God is no comfort at all. Instead, we just wrestle with God. Anybody ever wrestle with God? In this story, it takes on a physical demeanor, but most of us, it's, it's more of a cognitive, a cerebral, a questioning sort of wrestling with God. For instance, maybe we know what's right to do, but we're tempted to do this other thing, and so we wrestle with God. Or maybe God is calling us to something better, something wonderful, and we kind of settle for what's good. We wrestle with God. Or maybe we wrestle with what we've been taught about God or what we've grown to believe about God. And we wrestle with that as that doesn't kind of work with our reason or our experience. And so we wrestle. And here's a big one. Maybe we wrestle with God when we wonder why so much evil and so much suffering in the world. And so we wrestle. But here's the truth. Wrestling with God is a prerequisite for growth in faith. 
this last two, these last two things, if we're kind of questioning what we believe about God or wonder why God allows or causes so much suffering, we, we begin to ask all these questions. Like, if, if God, you know, did God cause this suffering? Did God create this suffering? Why would God do that? A loving God create all of this suffering? Or maybe the, the lesser version of this, well, maybe God didn't create all this suffering. Maybe God allows it allows all this suffering. Why, though? Why would God allow that? And then, which kind of leads to the question, if God can fix this terrible situation, this evil, this suffering, if God can fix it, why doesn't God fix it? And then finally, maybe we ask, well, if God exists, then, fill in the blank. So you ever wrestle with God like that? Pop theology, popular theology, I don't think helps very much. With all the, you know, the platitudes, right? Oh, God has a plan. Well, thanks, but that doesn't help me with my questions. Or everything happens for a reason. Well, what the heck is the reason? (laughs) Or, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Well, I wish he wouldn't. (laughs) And this, this one I really hate. When someone you love dies and somebody says, well, God just needed him in heaven. No, no. Wrestling with God. See, all these questions that we ask, it's a prerequisite for us growing in faith. We must come to terms like Jacob did with with who we are and what we believe about God before we can receive the blessing that God wants to give to us. My wrestling over some of these questions um, has gone something like this. Well, Well, let me first back up. Over these past few weeks, as I've talked with church members and others and kind of, you know, been online here and there, a number of people, at least a handful of people that I know of, have said, well, God must have sent this pandemic to teach us something. I've heard that a few times. And so I, I've kind of thought about that. And, and he, here's, here's kind of where my wrestling leads me. I really can't, I won't, <laughs> believe in a God that sends the kind of suffering that this pandemic is causing. You see, the God that I serve isn't a mass murderer. Worldwide, 500,000, a half a million deaths so far. My God doesn't create that kind of, of murder. <laughs> That's not the kind of God I serve. And so what do, we, what do we do with that? Do I believe that God can teach us something through this pandemic? Absolutely, yes. I, I'm learning things. I hope you're learning things. But did God send it to teach us a lesson? No. No, 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 no. Did I say no? <laughs> Enough? See, see, ascribing to God that kind of calamity, that kind of evil, that kind of suffering, ascribing that to God to me is blasphemy. That's taking the Lord's name in vain more than anything else, is, is assigning God to that kind of, of terror. <laughs> the God that I serves the God that I serve, excuse me. The God that I serve weeps with those who weep. The God that I serve suffers with those who suffer. And the God that I serve mourns with those who mourn. And that's, that's what Jesus teaches us from the cross. That's why Jesus was on the cross to kind of redeem our suffering. Our God is one who enters our suffering with us so that we're not alone in it. So back to Jacob and Esau. All the property, all the gifts, the wives now across the river. Jacob is alone. He's wrestled with God through the night. God blesses him. 
And now Jacob prepares to meet Esau. After 20 years running from this one who plans to murder him. And so Jacob crosses the river and he sees his brother flanked by 400 of his closest friends. This is going to be the biggest homecoming reunion ever or it's going to be a slaughter. One or the other. What's going to happen? Esau sees his brother Jacob. And when they lock eyes, Esau runs to Jacob and the two twins embrace after these 20 years. See, the thing that Jacob was worried about didn't come to pass. And isn't that true for us as well? Most of the things that we worry about never really happen. (laughs) That's the way it goes, all right? So, my friend, let me ask you a question. What's keeping you from being where you want to be? What's holding you back from living more fully into where and how and who God wants you to be? You have this one life, this one chance. Claim it. Own it. Anne Lamott says this. She says that I decided the single most subversive, revolutionary thing I could do was to show up for my life and not be ashamed. One life may each of us show up for it. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.